baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on a beautiful sunny day in Pasadena, California, the place where Jackie Robinson grew up. This is his hometown, and Jackie is going to come up in the, the first part of today's podcast as I hit a couple of specific topics. I've talked about this before. Uh, my loathing of the Yawkey family and their history in Boston and with the Red Sox. And I, I don't think there's a lot for Yawkey defenders to cling on to anymore. I think it's a pretty cut and dry that the Yawkeys were not only bad people, but they were bad for the Red Sox and bad for the city of Boston. Now, it's important to remember the Yawkeys and the negative effects that they had on the team and on the city and the culture of Boston and everything. But I'm not a big believer in celebrating bad people. I'm not. There's talk about changing Yawkey Way back to Jersey Street. And I say, good. Good. Because the street was renamed. And it was renamed, I believe, in the 70s. It was still called Jersey Street in the late 1960s. So... I believe it was changed within my lifetime to Yawkey Way to, for the specific purpose of honoring Tom Yawkey, the former owner of the Red Sox. And because it was changed, it can be easily changed back to something else. You know, if you want to rename it, bring it back to Jersey Street, Okay, if you want to give it another Red Sox, you know, name, that's what I'd actually prefer. But to keep it at Yawkey, there's some people who say that's absurd. Shut up. It's not absurd. Anyone who disagrees with changing the name from Yawkey Way, I personally believe is being absurd. If you are someone who's done any homework on the, the legacy of the Yawkeys in Boston and with the Red Sox, you will see there's not a lot there to honor. You know, there's, oh, there's bullshit that, you know, people who had defended said glorious things about him over the years, you know, that he was a guy, he revived the franchise, he would have done anything he, the, to... to make the Red Sox win, he loved Fenway Park, never moved him out of Fenway Park, and blah, 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 blah. All of it's bullshit. All of it's bullshit. He was a terrible human being and did really, did a ton of horrible things for the reputation and the legacy of Boston in terms of how people perceive Boston. Now, we native New Englanders have always had a complicated, well, embracing of the fact that a lot of people believe that Boston's an incredibly racist city. 
And if your name isn't Duffy or Sullivan or Fitzpatrick, that it's not a very welcoming city. And usually you'll see it's native New Englanders who say, that's not true, that's not true. And then you talk to anyone else, especially if anyone of color who's come to Boston, say, yeah, that's kind of the way it is. And I would tend to believe the people who this affects rather than the people who it doesn't affect. But the city of Boston is intertwined with the Red Sox in so many ways. And the fact that the Red Sox were had institutionalized racism in their organization for so long, sure as hell didn't help the reputation of Boston. You know, the busing crisis didn't help either from the 70s. But the fact that the team that everyone embraced, that everyone loved, had a reputation that was, eh, let's call it bad in terms of racial relations, doesn't help matters. You know, the Braves integrated before the uh, Red Sox did. The Red Sox were the last Braves when they played in Boston. Red Sox were the last team to integrate when they brought in Pumpsy Green in 1958, 11 years after the arrival of Jackie Robinson. Hell, renamed Yawkey Way Pumpsy Green Street. I'm all for that. And you had the likes of like Pinky Higgins, who was the manager of the team, who dropped the N-bomb when talking about there will be no black people playing on the Red Sox as long as I'm manager. He didn't say black people. And Tom Yawkey was so offended by this that he kept the guy on the payroll for the next few decades. You know, the people who said Tom Yawkey would have done anything to have the Red Sox win a championship. Yeah, except sign Willie Mays. He had the first crack at signing Willie Mays. They didn't sign Willie Mays. Willie Mays and Ted Williams would have been in the same lineup. He would have done anything except sign the best player in baseball history. If I'm not mistaken, the Re- I know I do know the Red Sox had a tryout for Jackie Robinson. That was more for show than anything. And of course, all the great players in the Negro Leagues who signed elsewhere, Frank Robinson, Ernie Banks, uh, Monty Irvin, Larry Doby, Roy Campanella, Don Newcomb. Could the Red Sox find any spot for him on the team? No. In the 1950s, as the team fell deeper and deeper into irrelevance? No. No. Couldn't be bothered. And this went deep. It's not just an isolated in the 1950s either. You remember they lost a racial discrimination suit in the 80s. With the whole Tommy Harper suit. They lost it. They were called out on being a racist team in the 50s. Do you know how racist you have to be to be called out in the 50s for being racist? 
Do you know how hard it is to lose a racial discrimination suit in the 80s? This is the reputation the team had. All under the Yawkey watch. And, of course, they didn't win under the Yawkeys. They didn't win. All the great curse of the Bambino. Maybe it wasn't about Babe Ruth. You notice two years after they sold, the the Yawkey Family Trust finally sold the team. Two years later, they won the World Series. Then they won another one. Then they won another one. Maybe, I don't know, not putting the best product on the field because you're an effing racist is not something we should honor. And I heard someone trying to defend it. He wasn't racist. He just enabled racists. Do you know what they call people who enable racism? Racists! I mean, that's not a hard thing to... Well, you know what? I'm not racist, but I support that racist point of view. Congratulations! You don't have to stick a cross and light it on fire to be a racist. Sometimes saying, well, I'm perfectly fine having Pinky Higgins manage the team instead of Willie Mays in center field. Obviously, that's not a baseball decision. That's a, I prefer the pigment of Pinky Higgins over Willie Mays. Hell, he was so white. His name was Pinky. And, of course, let's not forget the other thing, which is they kept on the payroll after being told about all the terrible things going on, about the abuse, about the the raping of children in the clubhouse by Don Fitzpatrick over decades. So we're going to throw a little, if you got your racism with a dash of Penn State. And the Yawkey family knew about this and Fitzpatrick stayed on the payroll for years. Now, you may say, well, you know, what are they supposed to do? They hired racist managers and they've employed child-raping clubhouse managers. It's not like they were doing it. Well, if only they were in a position of power to do something about it. So, for anyone who says, keep it at Yawkey Way, let me ask you something. Which part of the Yawkey family do you want to honor the most? The institutionalized racism, the enabling of child rape, not signing Willie Mays, or not winning the World Series for decades and decades and decades, and creating a franchise of losing and perpetuating the reputation of Boston as a racist city. Which one of those am I supposed to honor? Which one of those... Do we say, do you know what? Let's salute that. I'm not saying erase it from the history books. Quite the opposite. But naming a street after someone is honoring them. Especially when you change the street from something else. It's a deliberate act of saying, we want to salute you. I'm right near 
a, a park called Garfield Park in my hometown. And that's named after the widow of James Garfield, who was the, who was the president of the United States in the 1880s. And the widow of James Garfield moved here and they named this park in her honor. This honors her. Okay? Now, if next to it was Charles Gateau Street, Charles Gateau was the assassin who killed her husband. And it's like, oh, that's Charles Gateau Street. Why is it named after Charles Gateau? Well, he was an assassin who murdered James Garfield. That's honoring someone. You honored Mrs. Garfield with a spark, but if I had a, a street named after an assassin, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? If you're going to have a street, a park, a town, a statue, whatever named after someone, then in essence, you're doing it in their honor to salute them. And if someone did not live an honorable life, quite the opposite. The effects of their life resonated beyond their life in a negative manner to the point where it had to be corrected. Why would you honor that person? I want to get a little philosophical here, and uh, you know, and I, I don't want to get too much into what I believe religiously or spiritually or anything like that, because uh, that's not the topic of today. Um, but I will say I don't believe in souls. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in you go to a place when you die. I believe that when you die your body ends, and your life ends. But there is an afterlife. As I said, I don't believe the afterlife is a home for your ghost that will live forever. I think that's nothing but wishful thinking and a fear of death. But our life does resonate after we die. That is the afterlife. And if you led a positive life, the concentric circles, the effects, the ripples of that life will go on affecting people. I brought up Jackie Robinson earlier. The effects of Jackie Robinson were positive. And when he died, we were able to build upon his positivity. When some, And that's a positive afterlife. Yes, his life ended in 1972, but the effects of his life kept going. It's just not like, ah, oh, you died and who cares? It doesn't matter. It's meaningless. No! It could be meaningful. The world you leave behind, did you leave behind a world that was better or worse? A Jackie Robinson, I would say, made the world better and people built upon it. Another Boston sports figure, Red Auerbach, I believe, made the world better and people were able to build upon that. The Branch Rickies, the Roberto Clementes, the Yogi Berras of the world, you were able to build upon the positivity that they brought to the world. That is a good afterlife. And we've seen that not just with even famous people. I'll bring up uh, my great aunt, my, uh, my mother's aunt, my Aunt Edith, who lived a life she didn't have children. She didn't have a family of her own to pass on her life and her genes and everything like that. And when she died, she died alone. She died alone, an old woman in the early 1990s. She was about 90 years old when she died. But she was a teacher. And at her funeral, when we were at her funeral in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 
there were a lot of people in their 50s or 60s who showed up to the funeral who were her students. They were grade school students of hers who remembered her and she affected their life in a positive way. And they saluted that. That is an afterlife. That is, you made the world better or you made the world worse with your actions. With someone like Jackie Robinson, Branch Rickey, or my Aunt Edith, they made the world better. And they should be honored. Someone like Tom, and I'll say a Jane Yawkey as well, made the world worse. Oh, and let's also forget, Yawkey wanted to tear down Fenway Park and threatened to move them. So throw the whole, he never wanted to play anywhere other than Fenway and loved Boston so much, right in the dumpster along with all of his other, the bullshit of his legacy. And the effects of the racism that helped build up in Boston, the effects of the children who were abused, that they didn't protect. That was a life that caused damage that we had to repair when they died. When people have to repair the effects of your legacy, that is a bad afterlife. If you could build upon the positivity, that's a good afterlife. And if you led a bad life to which your afterlife requires repairing the actions of what you did while you were on this earth, I'm sorry, you don't get to be honored. It's bad enough Tom Yorkie's in the Hall of Fame. Buck O'Neill isn't in the Hall of Fame. Marvin Miller isn't in the Hall of Fame. But freaking Tom Yorkie is? So if I'm going to change the street, good. He's been honored, erroneously in my opinion. And he got to, he got to die thinking, oh, I'm beloved in Boston. All right, fine. It's not always just, you know, we're not going to be able to undo all the bad stuff or maybe take a long time to repair all the bad stuff, but it doesn't mean we have to honor them. And if you disagree with me, then explain to me what positive thing we're honoring and good luck with that. You know, the best thing about talking about the Yawkeys and bringing down the Yawkeys is the other side's got nothing. I have facts, logic, emotion, and morality on my side. What do you have? What, tradition about the name of a street? Here, I'll go to Kinko's. I'll print out a new street sign tomorrow. Congrats. Anyway, enough about the Yawkeys. They're terrible people. Change the street. If you disagree with me, uh, tell me why, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Let's talk about something else. Uh, once again, the free agent situation is untenable. I mean, there's, there's, there's too many free agents. And they're going to have a free agent camp. Um, geez, I think that they could go out and, and form two new teams if they wanted to right now. But I had an idea. And I, I joked about this earlier. But today I kind of figured, I, I did a little bit of work on it. And I figured it out that, do you know what? I actually am no longer kidding when I say this. There are enough free agents out there who are not getting any bites. They are really in danger of going into the season 
not playing Major League Baseball. A lot of them. And as we're entering March, yes, some of them can sit back and wait for an injury, but that doesn't guarantee anything. And some of them, especially position players, they got to get ready. Pitchers have got to stretch their arms out. Infielders, catchers have got to do their drills. And I was thinking about the Marlins with all the horrible publicity the Marlins are getting. They're not even fielding a major league team and everything like that. And I made a joke about this, but I I actually am now no longer joking. And so, Jeter, you want to throw an olive branch out there and you want to get, you know, there's there's talk about the Players Association wanting to sue uh, the several teams, including the Pirates and the Marlins and the A's, and I think there was another team I can't remember, I think it was Tampa. Here you go. What you do is this, Miami. First of all, you take whatever remaining major leaguers you have on your team. I think at this point it's Starling Castro, Martin Prado, JT Riamuto, and Jose Urena. Okay? Take those four guys and you trade them. And you try to get good prospects back. You try to get, you know, two really good prospects. You know, flush your farm system because you're doing what you're trying to do which is flushing the farm with good prospects and build it up. Okay. Then what you do is this. You call all these agents who are crapping their pants that their players will not play Major League Baseball this year. And you say, I have a one-year, $3 million contract. I know that's not what you want. I know that's not great. But it's one year... There are two commas in it, you know, $3 million. Your player gets to play in the major leagues and reestablish themselves and go back into the free agent market next year. And offer to sign, like, and just make a blanket offer to a bunch of players, to 25 players, and said, this is going to be our 25-man roster of these guys who are in real, real danger of not playing Major League Baseball. And I put together a roster. You get Jonathan Lucroy, Matt Holliday. You can, you know, Matt Holliday can play first base. You don't want to play first. Anyone offering you a contract back? Congratulations. You played a handful of games at first with the Yankees last year. You're the starting first baseman of the Marlins. You know, Neil Walker, you're at second. Stephen Drew, all right, he stinks now, but you know what? Put him at short. UNL Escobar, congratulations. You're starting at third. You have an outfield. They had already signed Cameron Maben, so you stick him out there. You have Carlos Gonzalez. You have Jose Bautista. And you also have Melky Cabrera, and you have John Jay. It's actually not a bad outfield. You bring in R.A. Dickey, knuckleballer, ageless, still can throw innings. Jeremy Hellickson, Ricky Nolasco. You take a chance with Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson, hoping that they can refine their stuff. You bring in Houston Street and Joe Blanton. You bring in Matt Garza, Robbie Ross, Eric O'Flaherty, Josh Colmenter. You have a bench that includes J.J. Hardy, Aaron Hill, Melky Cabrera, Carlos Ruiz, Esdremi Alcantara, who can play the infield and the outfield. There's your 25-man roster. Now, is that a great team? No. No, it's not. But is it a team 
that is better than the one that they fielded, that they're going to field now, of which all their young talent and all their young prospects you have in the minor leagues while this replacement team is in front of them. So you cut back on their service time. And then come the trade deadline, every name I just mentioned is available. And let's say a few of them revive their career. Let's say a Neil Walker revives his career. Let's say Carlos Gonzalez shows he's still a big league hitter. Let's see that Jose Bautista can still hit huge home runs. That Jeremy Hellickson, Ricky Nolasco show, hey, they had comeback seasons as, as pitchers. And Matt Garza and Houston Street find new life. Well, then you what you do? You trade them. You trade them. This way, you are fielding a major league team. Not a great one, a thoroughly mediocre one, but you can point out and say, hey, we put major leaguers on the field. Absolutely we did. You've signed all of them to one-year deals. So in essence, all the things that you do for tanking, you're still doing. You're still doing. You're not assigning long-term financial commitment to players. You're still building up your minor leagues, of which you trade. Let's say seven or eight of those players become valuable come trade time. You get one more minor leaguer back for each one of them, and the rest of them, they, you just let them walk at the end of the year. I talked about that jokingly. I now actually think, why not? If you sign all of them to a three-year deal, a $3 million deal for one year, that's $75 million. That's still... A super low payroll with no long-term commitments. And you've brought in players for Urena, for Rio Milto, for Prado, for Castro. So you've brought in four or five new young prospects and you're, you're flushing the farm system in. And you take a, the pressure off of the union for saying you know, we're not these players are have no you're not being signed. The Marlins can say, yeah, we signed major leaguers. No one else was. We signed the most. And some of these guys will say, geez, I you know, I got a job. I'm not making nearly as much as I want. I gotta prove myself or this, that, or the other thing. Again, I was saying that jokingly until I realized, wait a minute. Does that make sense? What if that makes sense? And if that's the case, why am I wrong? Come at me. Tell me why I'm wrong. That's what I would do if I were the Marlins. You have rented a team for a year. And you've done no long-term commitments. You've not harmed the, you know. And, and I'm not talking about even bringing in the big names. Like Lance Lynn or Mike Moustakis, or Jake Arrieta, or, you know, uh, uh, Alex Cobb. You know, I'm not talking about getting into the premier free agents. Who I, all those players, I believe, will find a home. But all these other guys, bring them aboard. No one's calling you. No one's calling you back. Here's one year, $3 million. It's on the table. That's your offer. If that's your best offer... That's what, you know, you may think that's unfair, but that's the free market. I offer my services. No one else is offer you. Do what? 
One year, $3 million. It's on the table. Sign it. It's yours. You come in. You're a cap. You're a major leaguer for another year. Boom. Beats not being a major leaguer. Beats sitting around. Why would that be wrong? A rented Marlins team for one year to placate the people. And look at that team I just said. That's a 70 to 75 win team. You know, it's it's a mediocre team at best. It's not a contender. But at least there's a few... I mean, come up and see some homers hit by Gonzalez and uh, Bautista. Maybe see the knuckleball being thrown by Ari Dickey. I don't know. It's not a very good team. But this way, I don't know, a little bit of an olive branch to take advantage of the situation. I was joking when I talked about it earlier. I'm now a 100% Serious. Everything I said today has been serious. Pumpsy Green Street and a Marlin team of one year Marlin, probably two thirds of the year Marlin. If anyone having a decent year, you immediately try to flip them for another, you know, minor leaguer. And then you look up at the end of the year, and assuming you're going to get a you know one good minor leaguer for you know Rio Milto and and. Um, Urea and a couple of the other players I said, you could add about four or five new young players into the system and not have to worry about their service time kicking in in 2018. Write to me and tell me why that's worse than the current Marlin situation. Write to me at Sully Baseball on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook, sorry, SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, Stitcher, um, iTunes. You can be old school. Send me an email at info at The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. As I connect what an afterlife is in terms of legacy and what a one-year improvement could mean in terms of taking advantage of the free market, to me, this all made sense on this episode of Sully Baseball. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I'm begging you, call me Sully.